Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sunday Morning Poetry. And today I thought I would do an unusual Mother's Day poem. Now, of course, the common Mother's Day poems are praising how wonderful mothers are, which of course is true. And, you know, it's saying lovely things about a mother. But I thought I would take an opportunity if you wanted to try something unusual, if you've maybe been a mother for a while and you wanted to dig a little deeper into um, possibilities of motherhood, I thought I would read a poem by Will- William Wordsworth, which was one of the more shocking poems to the people of 1798. Now, to you, I, I imagine it won't be quite as shocking, but if you think about it, there may be some shocking elements to it. Now, why would I want to read a poem that's not all lovey-dovey? And the reason is, I think one of the values of great poetry is to make you think a little bit more about something that you've always thought in one way, right? The the way, way we were commonly told this is that, you know, poetry and reading literature in general gives you a different perspective. Well, that that's a, you know, cliche truth. It's a cliche because it's true. But one other way of looking at it is that it, by giving you what Wordsworth in the preface to the Lyrical Ballads of 1802 said was similitude in dissimilitude. And what he's looking for when he's creating these experiments, and these were really experiments when he first wrote these poems, and in in this one as well, The Mad Mother. And what he's really looking for is, or what I think he's trying to do in his theory of poetry and literature is finding similarities among dissimilar things and dissimilarities among similar things. And, you know, finding what is the one and the many when you take it all these different things that don't look alike, what can you grasp out of that to create some kind of universal understanding? And in his view, um, as he put it, let me read a little quote here. This is a famous quote, and I'm going to expand the quote and read a little bit more. But he said that poetry is the spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings. It takes its origin from emotion recollected in tranquility. The emotion is contemplated till, by a species of reaction, the tranquility gradually disappears, and an emotion kindred to that which was before the subject of contemplation is gradually produced, and does itself actually exist in the mind. One of the theories that um, Wordsworth and the Romantics put forth, uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge as, as well, is this idea that, uh, one, our emotions are not arbitrary and random. They're not instilled in us before birth. They're not innate within us. In fact, they come from our observations of the sensory world and the conclusions that we make. And in fact, the great role of a poet of any kind of poet, you know, I, I, you can use that um, synonymously with literature writer, with a literary writer. And one of the great roles in a human consciousness, and, and thus in a society, for a great poet and any poet, is to show individual readers the sensory level experiences that add up to some new understanding, new piece of knowledge, new um emotion so emotions are actually byproducts of previous conclusions wordsworth says in other locations in the preface 
And I think that's accurate. I think when we have an emotional reaction to something, it's actually not something that, um, you know, is just part of reality that comes to us. It's we have had thoughts and observations from childhood to adulthood that give rise to that emotion. And this is why Wordsworth famously said that the child is the father of the man. Because his his idea was that the psychological imprints from our youth blooms into what we um, feel in our adulthood. So our feelings, and and psychologists today have this theory, I believe, as well, for the most part, too. Uh, It's not the only way we get emotions, but it's a major way is that it starts in youth. So all of that is to, to kind of set up this odd Mother's Day poem. Now, the Mad Mother, the reason it's odd is, one, it's not, like I said, a lovey-dovey poem about mothers, although there is some of that. To, to some degree, there is something heroic in the mother in the situation that she's in. However, it's not, you know, a it's not quite the pretty picture. I mean, it starts off very bleak. This mother is you know, bareheaded and, and scraggly. I mean, he he puts her in the most insanely or in the most um, desperate looking situation. She just went on a, she just came, arrived from a long boat trip and probably she's in England now and she probably came from North America. And, you know, may, it, there, it's not clear, but, you know, I envision she went to America with her husband and then she came back um, alone. And, you know, it's in the poem, you'll see, he, um, and, you know, I'm kind of ruining it, but the, the I want you to have a little bit of uh, framework to be able to grapple with the words. The words are pretty simple, but it's still in a, a rhythm and a rhyme. Uh, but anyway, so she comes back. She's with, she only has her baby. She has gone a little bit insane or mad, um, you know, uh, not mad like angry, but insane. And, and that kind of got, you know, a little bit awry in the head, a little bit off. And the the issue here is that she is kind of put out of society, you know, now that she's not with a husband, and, and this time that's part of the truth of, of the matter in 1798. And she has the inclination to raise her child alone in nature and kind of, you know, use nature as a father. And we'll talk a little bit afterwards about where that went and the conclusions of that. So I just wanted to set that up before I read this. But one of the things I, you know, I was talking about between similitude and dissimilitude, um, you know, finding the one and the many, finding similarities among dissimilarities, is, you know, you can um, look at the perfect ideal relation, you know, family relationship, and, and isolate aspects of the of motherhood there. But instead, um, Wordsworth chooses a outcast and finds well, what is similar in her. And it's not only an outcast, but an outcast who's going slowly or quickly insane. And yet she still has certain elements of motherhood. And by finding this, this creature that's out there and like this and isolating what is the essence of motherhood, I think it kind of starkly puts into view what, um, you know, one aspect or one view of nature of mother, motherhood. Now, I, I don't necessarily think you have to agree with everything he says. You know, I'm not necessarily certain that I do. There's another poem if you're interested in expanding your knowledge of um, these, this poet's view of motherhood. And, and the, I think he is powerful in his explanation and expression of it is you can read a poem called The Idiot, which is um, not about a mother, but about her idiot son. And 
and what um, this mother who, and by idiot, it's a little bit different in 1798. This is, um, you know, it basically this would be a mentally retarded person, a mentally retarded child. And, and there's a, an, an interesting little story that he tells in a nursery rhyme. So it has this, you know, nursery rhyme type feel to it in the rhythm. And, but it's about a mother who puts her um, idiot son on a horse to go get a doctor for their neighbor. And then like, you know, what happens and why does she do this? And he, is he smart enough to do this? And is he in danger? You know, and a whole little story goes on. It's, it's quite a bit longer than the mad mother. So maybe I'll read that at some other time. But today I thought I would just read the mad mother and um, go into that a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to read this. I don't think I need to do too many asides. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have on the screen, I'll have, if you're watching on Facebook, and I'll start putting these up on YouTube, but if you're watching there uh, or on the website, troubadourmag.com, so uh, there's also a, a thing called shows at the top, a tab called shows, and you can watch, and you can watch me, um, you know, wa I'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along, or you could find this, you just Google The Mad Mother by Willing Wordsworth, and you'll find the text online for free. So that's another way of just listening. Or you can just listen. I'm going to try to read it slowly. Okay. Here we go. And <clears throat> The Mad Mother by William Wordsworth. Her eyes are wild. Her head is bare. The sun has burnt her coal-black hair. Her eyebrows have a rusty stain. And she came far from over the main. She has a baby on her arm, or else she were alone, and underneath the haystack warm, and on the green wood stone, she talked and sung the woods among, and it was in the English tongue. Sweet babe, they say that I am mad, but nay, my heart is far too glad, and I am happy when I sing, full many a sad and doleful thing, then Lovely baby, do not fear. I pray thee have no fear of me. But, safe as in a cradle, here, my lovely baby, thou shalt be. To thee I know too much I owe. I cannot work thee any woe. A fire was once within my brain, and in my head a dull, dull pain, and fiendish faces, one, two, Three hung at my breasts and pulled at me. But then there came a sight of joy. It came at once to do me good. I wa waked and saw my little boy, my little boy of flesh and blood. Oh, joy for me that sight to see, for he was here and only he. Suck, little babe, oh, suck again. It cools my blood, it cools my brain. Thy lips I feel them, baby, they draw from my heart the pain away. Oh, press me with thy little hand, it loosens something at my chest. About that tight and deadly band I feel thy little fingers pressed. The breeze I see is in the tree, it comes to cool my babe in me. Oh, love me, love me, little boy, thou art thy mother's only joy. And do not dread the waves below, when o'er the sea rocks edge we go. 
the high crag cannot work me harm, nor leaping torrents when they howl. The babe I carry on my arm, he saves for me my precious soul. Then happy lie, for blessed am I. Without me, my sweet babe would die. Then do not fear, my boy, for thee, bold as a lion, I will be. And I will always be thy guide, through hollows, snows, and rivers wide. I'll build an Indian bower. I know, the leaves that make the softest bed. And if from me thou wilt not go, but still be true till I am dead, my pretty thing, then thou shalt sing, as merry as the birds in spring. Thy father cares not for my breast, tis thine, sweet baby, there to rest. Tis all thine own, and if its hue be changed, that was so fair to view, tis fair enough for thee, my dove. My beauty, little child, is flown, but thou will live with me in love. And what if my poor cheek be brown? Tis well for me thou canst not be, see how pale and wan it else would be. Dread not their taunts, my little life, I am thy father's wedded wife. And underneath the spreading tree we two will live in honesty. If his sweet boy he could forsake, with me he never would have stayed. From him no harm my babe can take, but he, poor man, is wretched made. And every day we two will pray for him that's gone and far away. I'll teach my boy the sweetest things. I'll teach him how the owlet sings, my little babe. Thy lips are still, and thou hast almost sucked thy fill. Where art thou gone, my own dear child? What wicked looks are those I see? Alas, alas, that looks so wild. It never, never came from me. If thou art mad, my pretty lad, then I must be forever sad. Oh, smile on me, my little lamb, for I thy own dear mother am. My love for thee has well been tried. I've sought thy father far and wide. I know the poisons of the shade. I know the earth nuts fit for food. Then, pretty dear, be not afraid. We'll find thy father in the wood. Now laugh and be gay to the woods away, and there, my babe, will live for I. The Mad Mother. Okay. So, you could see that there's a little bit of insanity going on. I mean, her hair, her eyes are wild, her head is bare, the sun has burnt her coal black hair. Her eyebrows have a rusty stain. And she came from far over the main, so over some, like a, a ship, a main ship. She has a baby on her arm, or else she would be alone, or else she were alone. And underneath the haystack warm and on the greenwood stone, she talked and sung the woods among, and it was in the English tongue. So she is kind of in a haystack. She's somewhere keeping warm with her baby, and she's singing some songs. And the author, the narrator, tells us that it's in the English tongue. And then she says to her babe, speaking to her babe, Sweet babe, they say that I am mad, 
but nay, my heart is far too glad. So she, people call her mad. Now, one of the open questions that a lot of people don't talk about in analysis of this poem, or at least I don't see a lot of it in, in reading analysis of this poem, what people don't seem to mention is what caused the madness? So I think one of the clear things that caused the madness is this she has been ostracized from society. She, her husband left her, so she's alone. And I think there is something that is being said about single motherhood. And there, at the one level, so there's multiple levels to this, and I think there's a, you know, a reality to it that may be hard for some single mothers to hear. Um, but, you know, and of course, it's easy to disagree. I'm not, I'm not a single mother, so I, I've never tried that one. But you know, so I, if you disagree, that's fine. But I think what uh, Wordsworth is trying to say, I'm just trying to understand what he's trying to say. What I think he's trying to say is that on the one hand, this woman is very strong. She crossed the ocean by herself. She's raising this child. Later on, she's going to you know, teach the boy how to um, live in the wild and, and speak to owlets and know poisons from, you know, poison berries from not poison berries or edible berries, so on and so forth. So she's going to take on kind of both roles. But remember, this is the mad mother. So there's a madness to her. And then there's also, you know, there is an insanity in her where she sees, you know, horrible things around her, which we'll get to in a minute. And then at the end, remember, she sees something horrible in her child. And that's another aspect that I think Wordsworth is touching on is she has been, a, you know, the child is hers, but it's also half the husband's. And so there's a, you know, there's a worry there, and she's also worried about where is the source. You know, if she is mad, where is the source of that? And is she passing it on to her child, which is a legitimate worry, right? Like, am I, is my child going to be insane like me? Am I insane? I don't, I don't know. Is, am I cursed? So let me go on with this next stanza. Sweet babe, they say that I am mad. But nay, my heart is far too glad. So... People say she's mad, but she feels glad because she has her child. And I am happy when I sing full many a sad and doleful thing. Then, lovely baby, do not fear. I pray thee have no fear of me, but safe as in a cradle, here, my lovely baby, thou shalt be. To thee I know too much I owe. I cannot work thee any woe. So she's saying, don't fear her. I'm here for you. I love you. Um, you know, I will protect you. You'll be as safe as a, you know, you'll, it's a promise she's making. And she's also saying that I owe you as much as you owe me. Now, here's some really um, powerful words here, I think, about insanity. A fire was once within my brain and in my head a dull, dull pain. And fiendish faces, one, two, three, hung at my breasts and pulled at me. Now, I think there's another way you could take this, of course. Most people today take this as simply a, you know, a example of insanity or, or a, a migraine that is, you know, is coupled with insanity. There's, and fiendish faces, one, two, three, hung at my breast. So there's, you know, this literal, literal way of taking that, but there's also a way of taking this where she's in pain and it was, you know, it starts perhaps in her in her brain, and you know, it's there. There are these fiends pulling at her and wanting her, and this is her within the normal society that she's in. 
She she felt this before, and then listen to the rest of the stanza. But then there came a sight of joy. It came at once to do me good. I waked and saw my little boy, my little boy of flesh and blood. Oh, joy for me that sight to see, for he was here, and only he. So you can it may be a stretch, so I'd be curious if you, in the comments if you think I'm correct here. I haven't seen this analysis anywhere else. But it could be an aspect of the birthing process, you know, in pregnancy, where before there was this pain, she had these nightmares of fiends pulling at her, and then, you know, she had, uh, during the, the birth, uh, you know, during the, the actual delivery, um, she w went unconscious and woke up to see her boy. Right with joy, with with which which is a joy to her. Now another way to take this, of course, and I think the more common way is that this is her insanity, and you know she's just with the boy. She's feeling this fire within her, you know, at the beginning of this poem, and then she looks at her boy and she feels better. And you know I think that's the more common way that that's probably right, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of relationship between the birthing process. I mean, the fact that it starts with this pain and has this joy, you know, that half the half those stanzas about pain, half the stanzas about joy, and my little boy of flesh and blood, right, that, that comes out of her, that I think is a, kind of saying something about the birthing process. Suck little babe, oh suck again. It cools my blood, it cools my brain. So again, I think he's saying something about motherhood here and about the symbiotic relationship between the two where the although she's nourishing him he's also in a way nourishing her so her madness her insanity and if you relate the madness to the loss of her family or husband being shipped off to america or leaving or to england from america um also being ostracized people look at her weird her weird right so you know i i imagine this is not completely inaccurate even today where single mothers will be looked at weirdly and oddly today like what's wrong with her why doesn't she have a husband and in 1798 it would be even more intense than it is today there's be less accepting it and you know that's where she says here where is it sweet babe they say that i am mad but nay my heart is far too glad so they say that i am mad who's they well, it's the people in society that say that about her, right? And so they think that she's mad. And that's where part of her madness comes from. In the relationship with the babe, this is its own little society. And, you know, so, so she's telling the babe to, you know, take nourishment from me and you're giving me nourishment. So it's a symbiotic relationship. Thy lips, I feel them, baby. They draw from my heart the pain away. Oh, Press me with thy lip, thy is your, thy little hand. It loosens something at my chest. About that tight and deadly band, I feel thy little fingers pressed. The breeze I see is in the tree. It comes to cool my babe and me. So, you know, the, um, when he, you know, there's the relationship, and we're going to see this later, that the husband has rejected her breast, is, is what she says. And so we're going to see something here about the, you know, there, there's also a, um, an odd uh, relationship, or it's not odd, but it's just the, a relationship that is, takes on almost a sexual element to it. And, you know, I, it's, I don't know, 
you know, it's it's a I don't know enough about Freudian um psychology, but there's definitely something that Freud, you know, is pulling from poems like this when he said the poems came to psychology first. He's referring to all many poets, and I think that's very true, is because poets were focused on understanding human under, humanity and humans, which of course means psychology. Okay, here's the next stanza. Oh, love me, love me, little boy, thou art thy mother's only joy, and do not dread the waves below, when o'er the sea rocks edge we go. The high crag cannot harm me, cannot work me harm nor leaping torrents when they howl. The babe I carry on my arm, he saves for me my precious soul. Then happy lie, for blessed am I, without me my sweet babe would die. So we get the, the symbiotic part of it, is he is staving off her madness, and she's protecting him in, from the sea rock's edge where they go, right? When, you know, do not dread the waves below. You know, when o'er the sea rock's edge we go, the high crag cannot work me harm, nor leaping to... So she's going to be the protector. Now that traditionally goes to the, the role of the man, but she's going to do that. So this is also something about, you know, I think again, emphasizing the single motherhood is she's doing both roles. She's playing, and she has to play both roles. And here's another element of that. She says, then do not fear, my boy, for thee, for you, for you, bold, for thee, bold as a lion I will be. So she's going to be a, a bold, like a lion, like a male lion. Right? She's going to take that role on. And I will always be thy guide through hollow snows and rivers wide. I'll build an Indian bower. I know the leaves that make the softest bed. And if from me thou wilt not go, but still be true till I am dead, my pretty thing, then thou shalt sing as merry as the birds in spring. So, you know, it makes me want to go into some of Jordan Peterson's um, psychologizing about or psychologizing about certain aspects of the relationship between the um, the mother who requires a certain kind of pact with her child, where I will take care of you completely if you don't leave me. You know, and if from me thou wilt not go, but still be true till I am dead my pretty thing, then thou, then you shall sing as merry as the, as the birds in spring. So you'll be happy as a bird if you never leave me. And what will I do in return? Well, I'll take care of you. You know, I'll be as bold as a lion. I'll guide, I'll be your guide through hollow snows and rivers wide. I'll build, right? So I'll build you a, a, a place to live, an Indian bower. So all this is um, not stuff that you, she's not going to get an apartment or build a house in the city. She's going to build an Indian, you know, so she's going to be one with nature, and so there's something more natural about the fatherhood and the or the the parenting um, guide that she's going to be. The father cares not for my breast; tis thine, sweet baby, there to rest. So she's saying, you know, the father doesn't want has rejected me at my breast, and this is a sexual record um, reference, obviously. Tis all thine own, and if its hue be changed. That was so fair to view, tis fair enough for thee, my dove. So, in other words, you know, fairness, F A, like being light skinned, was definitely more of a um, value sexually, or in families, I should say, to you know, to to society. 
So that that's probably the best way. Like being within this English society, it was definitely better to be light skinned and she's now getting darker, you know, and if it's hue be changed, that was so fair to view that was so her hue, you know, her breast was fair to view just fair enough for thee, my dove. It'll be good enough for you. My beauty, little child is flown, but thou will live with me in love. And what if my poor cheek be brown? Tis well for me. Thou canst not see how pale and wan it else would be. So she's saying that now that they live in this new society of just the two of them, what does it matter that her her, her skin has darkened and she's not as civilized? You know, being light skin used to be a value because you can have an umbrella, you stay indoors, you're not outdoors a lot. Obviously, in our own day, that's the, that there's, that's flipped and we, we definitely like tans a lot more. Dread not their taunts, my little life. I am thy father's wedded wife. So she's still a little concerned about society here, right? And she she's starting to worry. She's starting to feel that there, there's going to be some time when she has to deal with society. And underneath the spreading tree, we too will live in honesty. So she's saying, "I, you know, I'm your mother, and I'm you're not a bastard. You're you're a natural creature." And this is, I think, how Wordsworth thinks of naturalness. Naturalness is part of the the marriage bonds, even if the husband broke the marriage bond. But under in this natural setting, they're going to live in honesty. If his sweet boy he could forsake, with me he never would have stayed. From him no harm my babe can take, but he, poor man, is wretched made. And every day we too will pray for him that's gone and far away. So, she actually pities him because he's so wretched as to leave this lovely creature that she's, this baby that she's in love with. And that means there's something wrong with his soul. Now there's something to the, there's an old Socrates quote, see if I can remember it. It's something like, what, is it worse to be the doer of an injustice or the receiver of an injustice? So, and, and think about that. Would it be worse to do um, something evil or bad yourself, for you to do the bad thing, for you to be the doer of the deed, to, le- to be the person who does the leaving, or is it worse to have an injustice, injustice done to you, in this case, to be left by the husband? Which one's worse? And I think the Socrates actually would imply in you and I would agree with this, that it's actually worse to be the doer of an injustice deed because that means you are the type, you are the kind of person that does unjust things versus an injustice one time occurred and you can now avoid such things in the future. The husband is a wretch. He can never avoid being a wretch. He's completely a wretch forever. He's going to have bad relationships with you know women and children and his life's going to be miserable um, whereas hers will be miserable only for a short time. His whole life will be miserable. So I, I think there is something here about being a doer of evil, of injustice, and a receiver of an injustice. Okay, the next stanza. I'll teach my boy the sweetest things. I'll teach him how the owlet sings. So she, you know, again, she's going to teach him about nature. So this is a romantic poem. 
and big part of romanticism is this idea that nature is a teacher, right? And and the way Wordsworth envisioned this, although he does have some mixed ideas here, but one idea is that you know there's certain sensations that you just need to organize that you can get from nature and integrate them into knowledge. And he does say that, you know, not exactly like that, but similar type idea. So you have to see the birds and the owlets and the, the bushes and the trees and the squirrels and how they live. And, you know, that will teach you and give you some wisdom. Now, whether I agree with all of that or not is, you know, we can talk about that another time. But my little babe, thy lips are still and thou hast almost sucked thy fill. So now that so here's an important shift. The babe no longer the symbiotic relationship between them has kind of ceased now. So the babe, this has all been happening, and she's been singing the song while the babe was sucking at her breast. Now he's done with her, just like the father had been done with her, right? And what does she say next? What's the next part? Where art thou gone, my own dear child? So that means, where are you gone? Where have you gone? Of course, she's still holding him. He's a baby. Where have you gone, my own dear child? What wicked looks are those I see? Alas, alas, that looks so wild. It never, never came from me. If you are bad, if you are mad, my pretty lad, then I must be forever sad. And I think there is, you know, a lot going on in this stanza here. So she's, Telling him as he's, you know, um, nourishing from her, um, you know, from her breast, he's, she's telling him all the things she's going to teach him and he's going to be great and happy. And then he is full and she starts to see that the symbiotic relationship is broke and she no longer, he no longer needs her. And I imagine, you know, as someone who's not a parent, but I imagine there is something there where it's like you do give all this to a, um, you know, an infant, a loved one or a child and then there comes a point when they just don't need you anymore, right? And then they look completely different to you. They're not, they're not at all, you know, the, the, um, the person you imagine them in your head. And, you know, they're, I think, um, I, I couldn't imagine this, but I always think of someone who has given birth to someone who does some terrible deeds later in life, right? Like the Ted talk, there's a Ted talk from the Columbine killer mothers and, the mother of one of the Columbine killers. And it's always, you know, a odd viewing to see that, you know, to see what she thinks and how, how does someone cope with something like this? Now, of course, that's an extreme example. It's sometimes not something that's going to happen to your child or to anybody, you know, their child, but there is, I think, you know, that's just an extreme example of the idea of this person becomes alien to you even though they came from you. Now, on the at the same time, they're never completely that. They're always a part of you. But there's a doubleness to it, right? Where it's like, there's a symbiotic relationship. Oh, but who is this creature, right? And, and, is, and then the, the worry, is the creature going to turn out mad, like me or like my husband or, or something else or something worse? Then I must be forever sad. And, you know, she has no control over that. Oh, smile on me, my little lamb, for I thy own dear mother am. My love for thee has well been tried. I've sought thy father far and wide. So she she wants like something from him. She hopes that he'll smile on her. We don't get an answer, really. 
um, which I think is the nature of parenthood is, you know, there's a hope, but there's no guarantees that there will be anything that comes out of it for her, except for, you know, what she gets in the moment there when they're a symbiotic unit. My love for you has well, you know, it's been trying. This has been a, a, a journey and a difficult one, right? And uh, I've sought, I've looked for your father far and wide. Now the ne- next thing she says, and we're going to find out where this new father will come from. I know the poisons of the shade. I know the earth nuts fit for food. So she knows what's poisonous in nature. She knows what's good to eat. Then, pretty dear, be not afraid. We'll find thy father in the wood. Now, of course, the the actual surrogate or the actual biological father is not going to be there. What this is saying is that the woods, the nature will be um, the actual father in this case, that that will be what protects the babe and her from the horrors of the outside world. Now laugh and be gay to the woods away, and there my babe will live for I. A-Y-A-E, by the way, is what that is. So it's like, will live for yes. So I think that this is a complex poem, of course. There's a lot more that could be said, but I, I think it's, it hopefully gives you something to work with if you wanted to you know, go into it a little bit deeper. It's, there's definitely a lot going on here, and it's, it was controversial at the time, and I think it still should be to some degree if you thought about it uh, seriously. Because, you know, why is she, again, why is she mad? She's an outcast, but, you know, is she really? And, and even if you don't take it, if you take it just metaphorically, there is something, even if, you know, a mother chooses to, you know, raise a child by herself, well, there is still something that's going to be missing, at least in the natural sense, you know, in general. At least that's what Wordsworth says. So I know this is a weird poem for a, um, you know, Mother's Day poem, but I thought it was, you know, it is mother-related. So I thought I would do this and s- slip this in instead of the, the fountain, which we'll do uh, next week. But this is the this is Sunday morning poetry number four. So there's three others before this. So go explore. Go to troubadourmag.com. You can find the podcast. So the podcast is on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's pretty much anywhere you'll find uh, that you can listen to um, uh, podcasts. And then of course I do put the show, the video. When I do a video show, um, I put that online on troubadourmag.com as well. Sign up for the newsletter because you'll get access to the free magazine. So we put together this little free magazine where it's just hand-selected romantic poetry sent to your inbox. So check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, It'll give you a sense of why romanticism is so important, how it helps train your consciousness and your um, emotional apparatus. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next time.